Welcome to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. I'm Crystal Keating, bringing you real conversations about disability and hope, and exploring your questions about how to include people with special needs in your community and church. You can subscribe to the podcast by visiting johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast, or by finding us on your favorite podcasting app. Well, this week, I have the privilege of sitting down with Tobias Haglin from Young Life Capernaum, communicating the love of Jesus and the gospel of Christ to students with special needs goes far beyond what we say. I am thrilled to have Tobias Haglin on the phone with me today as we talk about sharing the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel with teens and young adults living with a disability. Welcome to the podcast, Tobias. Hey, thanks for having me. So glad that you're on with us. You're our first phone call, and I'm so thrilled that we met each other at the Disability Ministry Conference in Santa Ana. It was great running into you. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Uh, the connections that have kind of come through that conference have been really neat. Um, I, I've had a relationship on and off with Johnny and Friends for a couple of years, just being involved in disability ministry, but it's cool to see that relationship kind of rekindled and just to be able to be more in step with what you guys are doing because of the involvement with churches and stuff. Being a young life guy, we don't always have a super like obvious connection with the church. It's more via relationship and partnership. And so to be able to kind of come alongside you guys and and have that happen uh, for you guys towards us, it's just been really fun to see how that works. Me too. And Tobias, you're the area director for Young Life in East County, San Diego. Is that right? Yes, that is for the past five years. Okay. And you're also the regional Capernaum developer for South Coast. Yes, I am. South Coast includes San Diego, Riverside County, and Orange County. Okay. That is awesome. And I have to tell you this, our family, the Keating family is a Young Life family. Hmm. My aunt got saved through going to a Young Life club and um, she came home and told her brother, who's now a pastor in Escondido, and the rest is history after nearly 28 grandkids. Um, Most of us are walking with the Lord. So I love Young Life. Actually, earlier this week, Johnny and Friends partnered with Young Life Capernaum and together they hosted a family retreat at the Warm Beach Camp in Washington. How exciting is that? Oh, uh, that, that's really neat. It's it's kind of cool to see those types of things come about because you know Young Life is a is a, it's a ministry to teenagers, and so like this is just something that we wouldn't be able to do without a partnership with an organization like Johnny and Friends. It just wouldn't happen. So it's really neat to see how that comes about. Well, I agree. And Tobias, I have to know how did you come to Christ? Was it through Young Life? Yeah, I, it was. I, I had parents who were believers, and my my dad was a big impact on my faith and mm-hmm. uh, just knowing who Jesus was as I grew up. But as most teenagers, I kind of pressed away from my parents and, and went into that phase that you need to go into to figure out who Jesus is to you and what that relationship looks like. Yeah. And so I, I'd say that I was introduced to Jesus by my family, but I'd say I, I really got a chance to develop a relationship with Jesus through my experience with Young Life. I was a part of Young Life my senior year of high school, and I was not really walking with the Lord during that time of my life. And uh, there was a guy at my school, he was a history teacher, his name was Rusty Bailey, and he just pursued me through some relationships that I had with some friends who were a part of the Young Life Club. And to be honest, 
when I was approached to like go to Young Life Club, like I knew they were a Christian thing, but they weren't the church. And when you're a teenager, if it's Christian and not the church, the only thing you think is cult. And so it was like, <laughs> oh no, I do not want to be a part of your cult. No, thank you. And right. uh, I pushed, I pushed away from it. But the reality was, is I, I wasn't really going to to church really either. And so if I was going to develop my faith at all, it was going to be through something like this. But mm. oddly enough, I won't get too much into the story because you know it, it could take forever. But I was essentially <laughs> tricked into going into a Young Life Club. My my friends said we were going to go to a house party. And when you're, you know, a senior in high school, that's all you do is like, oh, this just meet people and who am I? And I want to go to a party. And so I, I remember and they were that lying, night. right? Uh, no, they, no, we got those. That's, that's the funny thing is when they <laughs> took me there, I didn't really realize it until I saw Rusty get up to give a club talk. And a club talk is what we would call Young Life's version of the proclamation where they get up and tell a story about Jesus. And that happens at every Young Life club. And I didn't know until that moment and it was really funny when we when we showed up to the house, you know, we passed kids down the street that were smoking cigarettes outside their car and there was kids standing out on the lawn and there was music pumping. So it had all the elements of what you'd think a high school house party would totally. look like. And I went inside and being a dumb little teenager, I was looking around going, I wonder if anyone brought beer or, you know, that right. kind of thing. And I'm yeah. looking for it and I, and I can't find it anywhere. And I remember going out into the backyard. And uh, there were some adults there and, you know, naturally as a teenager, I'm like, oh, they must be the people, these are the cool adults that let us have the party here. And I didn't know at the time, but those were the college age and adult young life leaders. There's like 60 kids in a backyard with a pool at this nice house that, again, I think I'm at a house party. I'm like, this is the weirdest house party I've ever been to. And we went inside and then there was someone playing on the guitar, like singing Taylor Swift songs. And we're just jumping around, screwing around. And then they said, all right, everyone grab a seat. And then that's when Rusty Bailey came, like walked up to the front. I hadn't even noticed he was there and he had a Bible in his hand. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> they <Dude>. caught me. <laughs> so I like get up to leave and my buddies like grab me by the shoulders and sit me down. And they're like, just give it 10 minutes and then we'll leave. Like, you're going to be fine. And I was like, oh, I'm so mad at you guys. And then he, he told the story of uh, the bleeding woman who reached out to Jesus in the crowd. And I never heard that story before. And I remember just thinking like, I like that story. That's a good story. And so I just kind of kept going back and kept going back and kept going back and just was challenged by what the gospel was. And I went to summer camp that summer and kind of got a, got a chance to press away from just life and everything that was going on in the world and just be there with Rusty and a couple other campers and got to hear the gospel given in a way that made sense to me and understood. And at the end of the week, I decided I wanted to start living my life with Jesus in it. Amen. And that's kind of where everything started. That's amazing. All from a pseudo house party. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I hesitate to say I got tricked into it, but it's like, yeah, I, I totally was. <laughs> you know, God, God was after you and he had his way. And I just love that. So now you take the same kind of gospel impact that the Lord had on you and you're working with Young Life, but you're also working with Young Life Capernaum, which is an outreach to teenagers and young adults with disabilities, right? Yes. Awesome. Okay, so how did Young Life Capernaum get its name? That's a funny one. So uh, Capernaum or Capernaum. Capernaum. Or That's right. I've heard it said both ways. <laughs> yeah. So it gets its name from uh, a story in scripture where Jesus kind of housed his ministry out of the city of Capernaum. That was like his his home base. And there's a story of these four friends who bring their friend who is paralyzed on a mat. They bring him to a house that Jesus is preaching in. And most of us are, are familiar with this story. But uh, Capernaum gets its namesake from the attitude of the friends and how they didn't let the crowds and didn't let the limitations. Essentially, it was an inaccessible house. Yep. And um, it wasn't just inaccessible physically. I mean, culturally, if you were physically disabled, that was also made you inaccessible to resources and to relationship and things like that. And so these four friends 
fought and pushed back on all the limitations that kept their friend away from Jesus. They even ripped a hole open in a roof in order to bring this guy to the feet of Jesus. And that's where the name comes from. It was, that's the mentality of a young life Capernaum leader is we're not going to allow anything to get in the way of this kid having a chance to stand at the feet of Jesus. And that, yeah, I love that. That one, even hearing that story just now, it's just like, it touches my heart because it's every teenager needs that. Yep. You know, but some teenagers don't have the same accessibility that others do. And so it's, what are we going to do? What are we willing to do? How far are we willing to go to make sure that every kid has a chance to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand? That is beautiful. And that's why Johnny and Friends and Young Life Capernaum align so closely because we share the same heart. You know, I heard somebody with Young Life Capernaum say, people with disabilities are the same as anybody else with the same dreams and the same hopes, but they have way less opportunities to engage in those. They're the same as anybody else with the same dreams and hopes, but they have way less opportunities to engage in those. He said, Jesus isn't just a person for able-bodied people. He's for all people. And I love that. He said, your disability does not disqualify you from Jesus. Yeah, that quote comes from a guy named Nick Palermo, and he was the one that founded Young Life Capernaum. And he was a typical high school Young Life leader. And he launched this whole concept out of doing contact work at one of the high schools and seeing basically this train of kids in wheelchairs going to and fro on the campus and realizing like that he didn't really know these kids. Hmm. And he just started the process of reaching out to them and getting to know them. And he started having them over to the house. He just did Young Life with kids with disabilities and he didn't let the limitation get in between yep. him and his ability to do that. And so he just got creative. And then as he got creative, it got more personal and he started to realize, wow, this is, this is really something worth doing. That's so fabulous. Okay, so the tagline for Young Life Capernaum is invited, celebrated, and needed. Those are some powerful words. What are the significance of those three words? It means something different to everybody, but if I would break those down, I would say invited. So many teens with disabilities or with special needs don't feel invited. They don't feel welcome totally to, to so many different places. And there's a lot of teenagers that don't have a physical disability. It, uh, maybe they might have something that's developmental or, or, mm-hmm. or something that's you know happens over time. They just don't feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea of, no, 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 come, come along here. The invitation is specific to them, not just specific to teenagers, but no, we want you. Mm. And that's great for every kid, but especially for kids with special needs because they don't ever get that anywhere else. They're not typically invited. And especially when it comes to the side of faith, the world outpaces us sometimes when it comes to meeting the needs of people with special needs. We're playing catch up, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think Mm -hmm. it's in that invitational side of things. The celebrated one, that's just the core of what Young Life is. I mean, Young Life is one big fat celebration, like the story <laughs> of kind of how I showed up. It felt like a house party. It yeah. was, we celebrate these kids. It's it's not done with an attitude of pity or an attitude of mercy. It's done with an attitude of, we celebrate you. We love who you are. Yeah. And it's, it's you can, you're careful with that because you're not necessarily celebrating the disability, but you're celebrating the kid regardless of the disability. And then the, the last one is needed. And I think that that's the theological point. And there's so many things you can point out in scripture, but what I would just say is that scripture is really clear that the parts that seem weaker are actually the most needed. They're the, they're the ones that without them included, without them there, we're missing out on something. So we don't just do this for them. We do it for us and not just like Mm -hmm. the little us, but like the big us, the Mm -hmm. big C church. We require their participation in order to reach that wholeness, that, that shalom, that, that without anything missing and everything's in the right place, 
we need them to be in there in order to experience that. The fullness of God, the fullness of his house. Okay, so tell me about a typical meeting or do you call it a club? Yeah, club is what they would call it. Okay. If you go to a Young Life Capernaum club, it looks just like a Young Life club. And I would say a Young Life club looks just like a great youth ministry. It's it's really just saying we want these kids to experience what other typical kids experience by being invested and invited and celebrated at a youth ministry kind of thing. And you just make little tweaks and the tweaks really aren't that big. I mean, when, when you think about, you know, it's just throwing a piece of board over some stairs or it's, it's turning the music down or keeping the lights on, things like that. But if you have that filter of what you need to do in order to make it accessible to kids with special needs, it doesn't look very different at all from what you would see at a typical Young Life or a youth ministry thing. So it's usually full of games. It's full of music. It's uh, full of fun and then you'd have the message. So it doesn't look very different, but the message would look different sometimes dependent on what those kids require in order to be able to comprehend what's being said and to experience it. And so the messages might have object lessons and things like that. So there's 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 little tiny, you know, minutia that that change what it looks like, but for the most part it just looks like a bunch of teenagers having fun. I'd love to go to one. Actually, I I have gone before. Man, when I was in college, I went to a couple of the high school ones and we had a blast. And, you know, you can feel the love of Christ and the gospel is clearly communicated. And, you know, you said that there's small tweaks when ministering to kids with disabilities. Can you talk a little bit more about Young Life Capernaum students who have intellectual or developmental disabilities? Are there unique ways that you're communicating the gospel or sharing the love of Christ or teaching from the Bible? I mean, can you give some examples of what that might look like? You know, one example is what we might do in a Young Life Capernaum context is like living stories, a living club talk. And so they wouldn't just stand up and speak at kids. What they would do is act out a story. And every kid has a part. And every kid gets a sheet of of how to participate in that. If you did that with a bunch of typical seniors in high school, they might laugh you out of the room. But for kids who really, really want to understand and get it, Mm -hmm. they really appreciate being included in that way. And they remember the story. And I, I think what I've experienced is afterwards talking to them about what the feelings felt like. They relate to it. They understand what it might have been felt like to feel lost or to feel... Uh, excited or to feel scared because they felt that moment. They actually were able to put themselves in it. And so that's just one of the ways that we might do it a bit differently. Uh, Visuals, object lessons, you know, I'm not using a lot of Christianese. That's also something that we would typically avoid in Young Life as well because so many kids that come to Young Life, our goal is to reach kids that don't have a church history, that don't have a faith past. Hmm. And so we wouldn't use words like salvation. Uh, we, we would use sin, but like we'd need sanctification. to sanctification, sanctification, justification. How can we explain this in a way that when they walk away from it, they feel it, not necessarily just understand it? Yeah, that's powerful. How do you meet the students you invite to come? I think the big thing is it's developing good relationships with the people around the kids that you want to reach, whether they have disabilities or not. But you want to show them why you're there. You want to be upfront with what your purpose is. But that can't be the only reason that you're there. I think, in my opinion, I would say that a lot of the ways we meet kids isn't just showing up to the school or showing up to where they might be. It's being there before they get there. It's getting involved with the school, do, like having a reason to be there that's not just ministry yeah. uh, or, or thinking about it as part of your ministry. Like maybe you would volunteer in the classrooms. Maybe you would volunteer with one of the teachers. Maybe you would volunteer with one of the lunch programs or one of the after-school programs, or maybe you volunteer with Special Olympics or, or a uh, softball program, you know, locally. It's put yourself in a place where kids are going to show up and it kind of just 
you know, speaks to the mentality of Young Life that instead of trying to get kids to come to us, it's we think creatively about how can we take ourselves to them. That's what Jesus did too, right? He went to people and he ate with them and he was living life with them. Yeah, you become a fixture in the school or the places where people already are. And so they get to know you in really um, an approachable way. Some people want to know that you're not there to just proselytize. They they want to know that you actually care about kids. And if you do really care about kids, you care about the whole kid. You don't just care about the spiritual side of things. You're, You're there to care for them in all the other ways. And it's... It's to me, in my experience, it's been shocking how much, you know, trust you can build by just serving the person and not serving your own agenda mm-hmm. and the type of access and opportunity that you get to share Jesus and share him through your behavior and through the trust and safety built in that relationship far surpasses any kind of goal to just get in there and make sure kids hear the message. It's mm-hmm. I think so much energy gets lost on trying to do that without considering mm. how you can invest yourself in the community first. That's a good word. Now, with that comes the relationship probably with parents or caregivers. So what's it like to build relationships with the students as well as those who care for them? In my experience, parents of kids with special needs, uh, they, they desperately want their kids to have friends, but, they, but yes. they also lack meaningful friendships with people that connect them to their kids. They may have friendships that you understand their struggle. They're a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on, and they're very supportive of the individual, but not a lot of families, I would say, say, oh yeah, all our friends are involved in our life as Mm -hmm. a family. You know, they would say, well, we've got the people that love our kids and we've got the people that love us, but there isn't a lot of crossover. And I think when you talk to families, their favorite people are the ones that love them and love their kids. And so that's a unique place that Young Life leaders and Young Life staff can can take is saying, we love you guys and we love your kids. We're not just here to serve your kids. We're here to serve you. Mm. And so that can be done in a lot of different ways. But just in general, that attitude, taking as much of an interest in the parents as you take in the kids, the, the struggle, the difficulties, the joys, the celebrations, all that stuff. It's in the same way that you would want to invite yourself into the, the school or into the community, mm-hmm. you, you ask to be invited into the family as well. And so you, you find ways to develop trust and safety so that you do get invited to birthday parties and you do get invited to house openings and you do get invited to family picnics and things like that. And that, I think that's the way that you do that is just really care and find a way to love the family and, and build that structure into your life. You know, and I think that really removes the isolation piece that we hear from a lot of families who write to us at Johnny and Friends who are impacted by disability. I think that's the one thing that they long for to be genuinely enjoyed and appreciated and woven into the fabric of life, not just, oh, I have a paid provider who comes to our home or we're in a support group and I'm surrounded by people who understand. It's it's the normal, typical everyday relationships that we all long for. We do hear from those who are in church settings or in community settings, classroom settings, where um, they write to us asking about a child or a teen who's exhibiting some challenging behavior. Have you ever been in a situation in the club or even at camp where a student was maybe showing some behavior that you thought that's a little bit uncomfortable, I'm not really sure what to do? How have you handled those situations? And even now as you've worked for Young Life for five years, what do you wish you would have known or done differently in handling a difficult situation? I've got a great story that I'd love to tell you, but it's a, it's, it's a dirty story. And so I hope that's okay. And we can always just- Let's keep you know, it real. 
cut it out of the podcast. We need to. That's always the option. But I got to tell you a story about a kid, and I'll keep names out of it. But I remember it was probably my third year going to camp. We took a young man uh, who at the time was 17, high school kid with cerebral palsy, and he uh, had a wheelchair. He was pretty communicative. He, he, he would participate, but he had a hard time speaking at times. But he was, he was kind of a disgruntled kid, and he had this thing that would happen when just randomly throughout the day, or at least it seemed random at the time, he would, he would defecate. And it would happen often, and I really mm. discovered this at camp. And so after the first two days, he had probably defecated about six times. Basically, I think any time he needed to go, he just kind of went, or at least that's kind of how I perceived it. And it was getting to be really exhausting, like changing this kid every single time that happened. Mm. And I was just struggling. It was really hard not to, just to be frank, to be mad at him, to be like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I've seen you go to the bathroom and wait for a toilet. Like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. And just kind of just spent some time in prayer. And I feel like the Lord just kind of was saying like, just watch, just pay attention and so uh, over the next like day or two, I just kind of watched and paid attention to when this was happening because it seemed like this was a behavioral issue. What I had noticed was is it seemed to be whenever he wanted to leave a situation or whenever it seemed to be, I'd start to see him get a little bit uncomfortable. He'd get fidgety. And very soon after that, he would defecate. Mm. And it was like, I wonder what's going on. And so I kind of had a heart to heart with him. And I was like, hey, man, like, are you doing this on purpose? And he was like, uh, you know, and I was like, hey, I just want you to know, like, I'm not upset at you. I just want, I just want to know maybe what might be going on. And in that conversation that probably lasted about an hour, you know, reading, reading between the grunts and the pauses and the things like that, waiting for it kind of discovered that he was doing it on purpose. And basically he was attributing that when, when I do that, I get brought away, I get, I get taken away from a situation. And so what we kind of discovered was, is when he got frustrated or when he got tired or when he didn't want to be in a situation anymore, he would do that because what it meant was being pulled out of that situation and taken into some privacy mm. and maybe getting some time away. Mm. And so what, what our conversation kind of led to was a, a deeper understanding for me that he didn't have control over a whole lot. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of things that he could really grab and say this. So if someone had called him a bad name, he, he didn't really have the vocal capacity to, to fire back. You know, if, some, if somebody was making him uncomfortable, oh. he didn't have the physical power to roll himself away. And when he didn't want to participate in something, he didn't have the tools to be able to communicate that he didn't want to do it. But he knew that if he did that, then it was like the get out of jail free card kind of yeah. pass on that thing. And so we just kind of had a conversation and just a frank one saying, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and I don't think you want to do some stuff. And yeah. so could we maybe think of some ways to communicate that when you're done and I promise you, you tell me you're done, we'll wheel out of there and we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll get out of there. And he, it only happened two more times the rest of the week. And I think those were ones he just couldn't control. And so I, it kind of was like an object lesson in how all behavior is communication. I was just and, thinking that. You asked me what I wish I would have known yeah. earlier. I wish I would have known that because I think I would have been more attentive to to what was going on. And I want to preface that with a disclaimer. Not all behavior is communication. I think you can get lost in that world with especially teenagers with disabilities. Some behaviors just teenagers being teenagers, not communicating anything. And and also something <laughs> with disabilities, not all of that is communication either. I mean, kids with Tourette's, like that's not communication. That's yeah, just that's the nature wise. of what they're battling with. And so it's not all behaviors communication, but a lot of it is. And mm. we tend to err on the side of not considering how much of it is. Well, and that just means that you're taking the time to really examine all of the factors that are happening. You have to pay attention and you're willing to embrace him and have a frank conversation. And I think that is really transient to a lot of 
situations that arise in a ministry to people with disabilities or a respite event or times where people are managing challenging behaviors and they're asking Mm. good questions. And I think that's a great story. And thank you for sharing that. I think when it comes to events and camps and, you know, whatever we do, we're wanting to give these people that we know that have a disability or have a need, we're wanting to give them experience that we perceive them to want to have. And sometimes I think you have to pay attention to what the expressed need and the expressed desire is because I'm thinking I'm taking him to camp so that he can go on the zip line and so that he can go on the blob and so that he can go on the climbing tower and so that he can play soccer. And I'm thinking that I'm doing all these other things for him. I have all these other goals. When in reality, the thing that probably touched him most was somebody who was willing to stop and listen. Totally. And going to camp was a great way to do that because there was freedom and there was the space to do it. Yeah. But had I been so concentrated on my goals and my agenda and trying to give him the things that I thought he wanted, I would have completely missed him getting a chance to experience what he needed in his soul. Yep. And then also would have just been a waste of my time because then it would have just me going to camp to you know, change underwear. And that's, that's a waste of everyone's time. No one wants to do that. Like no, we, we want to give them an opportunity that. to be known. Yeah. You got you to know and you, you got to just be okay to take the, the route that you don't think is the one you're supposed to take. Amen. That's good. Okay. So Tobias, over the years, we've received phone calls and emails from parents who want to better communicate the gospel to their children who have developmental and intellectual disabilities, especially children who are nonverbal or have limited abilities to learn. And I think one of the heartaches that parents share is that they feel like the message is not really sinking in. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm teaching, I'm walking with kids, but like, are they getting it? What have you learned about overcoming some of these fears or challenges? Do you have any advice or encouragement for what you've seen to be effective and helpful to your students at Young Life Capernaum? I think this is where people from different theological viewpoints might tip their hat and, and divert in different directions. But what I would say is, I, I forget the the generation of the quote, I think it's St. Francis, but it's preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. And I even think that's like a, a shifting of what the actual quote is. In ministry with the disabled, there's a distinction there. There's some people say ministry to the disabled and then there's ministry with the disabled. Yep. And I think that approach can can really determine what you're trying to get out of it and what you're hoping to see as the results. Because if you're doing ministry to uh, the disabled, then you're going to be looking for little things that kind of approve your work and kind of show you the results and the fruit of your work. And we talk about fruit a lot in the church. And uh, right. I think sometimes we can get a little bit lost in what we think fruit is. Um, the definition can get just convoluted. And so what I've kind of learned, and this is really great because I've learned so much about ministry and about discipleship by working with young people with disabilities, but also just with, with people around the world, I, I would say that my lesson doesn't come from the world of disability, but it comes from the world of uh, international missions. I remember being in Uganda for a missions trip and doing a leadership conference. And uh, we were in Lira, Uganda, and it was me and six other people from our church. And we were trying to teach leadership skills to a group of about 300 people, of which 275 of them did not speak English. And so we had translators with us, but so much of what we were communicating was our behavior, was the structure of what we were doing. And so much gets communicated in your face and the tone of your voice and all those things. I remember moments in just working with with people from Lyra who did not understand English and then treating them the way that I think Christ would have treated them and seeing the response of people who had not been treated that way or had not been treated that way in a long time 
communication is not just verbal. And so I think when we communicate the gospel, it's not just the message, it's the environment, it's the lifestyle, it's the discipleship component that has to do with, Mm -hmm. do you feel safe? Do you feel loved? Do you feel seen? Do you feel acknowledged? And I think that you can do that with people with special needs. And if you're comfortable with waiting, I think a lot of the fruit you're going to see is a nonverbal affirmation. Mm. It's something about their level of security and safety. And there's a lot of kids that I've worked with that are completely nonverbal and who respond and show that they're getting it and understanding it by, you know, how quickly they they start, you know, to to feel safe and how quickly they start to lean in. And, you know, are you the person that they would run to when there's a situation that they don't think they can handle or that they feel overwhelmed in those little things. It's, you got to remember. And it's because part of it is like, you got to get humble and realize like, it is not about me. It is not about the fruit that I need to see, but then also understand that you are Christ to these kids. So it's like, you have to get humble, but then also allow your work to be elevated, knowing that you're serving them. And so you're serving Jesus, but you're also Jesus to them. And so much gets communicated in that. And I, it starts to get proverbial <laughs> if you go beyond that. But my encouragement to, to parents and to people who are wanting to know if they get it is I would say, I, I think if we spend enough time considering if we get it, I, I think we won't be as concerned with, with the signs of affirmation coming from them and a lot more with the signs of affirmation coming from us. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of stunned because I feel very convicted at this moment just thinking about you know, what does my life communicate as I live every day? If, if I couldn't say anything about the Lord, what does my love, the way I look at people, even the invitations that I'm giving out, you know, what does it say about the value that I place? I think that's very insightful. It's it's certainly a case for a pause for all of us. I, I would probably boil it down to the statement of the goal is to be faithful, not effective. That's good. And again, I learn all this stuff from uh, so much of what I learned in disability, I, I translate into the typical world and what I learned in the typical world, I translate into disability ministry. But something I learned in being a foster parent for the past 10 months or so, something that was kind of shocking to me was how many foster kids feel this deep, deep connection with parents who have not loved their kids well, who have not yes. taken care of their kids very well. But there's this connection to the parent and what the connection is not that the kid and their relationship with their parent is effective. It's that the kid is opting into faithfulness mm-hmm. that they, they see something as the way it should be. They should have a close relationship with their parents. And it's very hard, even in a broken relationship to detract from that. It's very easy to walk away from ineffective relationships. It's very easy to do that. It's very hard to walk away from faithful relationships. We don't want to let people down that we care about. We want to stay connected. And so as you think about uh, like effectiveness in that way, effectiveness is really just a byproduct of restoring dignity, You know, treating them like real people, restoring dignity to ourselves, allowing ourselves to be humbled and, and see what our, what our value is in serving. That faithfulness, letting them know that we're not going anywhere. And then, and then recreating this, this relationship of safety like we've had to do with our foster daughter of mm. we're committed to you, even if you're not committed to us. Mm. And, then, and then just being authentic with that. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen so many young people with disabilities that have the ability to call you out and say, I don't understand why you're here. You know, like there's, there's yes. it's such a spectrum, you know, not, not to use an obvious word, but it's a spectrum of, of people's motivations for why they're there. And if you're really there to love them and you want them to meet Jesus and you're faithful to that and your goal is to restore dignity, they respond to that. They respond to that really well. Uh, and I don't think that you have to worry so much about effectiveness 
That's beautiful. And in that, you display the faithfulness of God. So I'm sure there's been ways that you've been transformed as you minister to and with students with disabilities. I mean, how has God changed you? I used to say in my youth, I'm not that old, (laughs) but um, it's so much easier after being involved in ministry to to people that are disabled. It's so much easier to give them grace and, and to be understanding. And then I was just realizing it took me kind of a growth period. I was just really impatient with typical people because it turned into this, well, I understand why they can't do that. I understand why they aren't able to. <laughs> but what uh, about you? you? What about you, you, you turd? You know, why can't you be, <laughs> why can't you be nicer? Why can't you laugh at my jokes? You know, why can't you be? Yes, you know, what's your that, excuse? Yeah, what's your excuse? It was that like, and I think that's such a negative attitude. And I think also I, I had, uh, and everyone's in a different place on this. And like I said, it's, you know, everyone's got a different perspective, but you have the over glorification of disability where some people will yeah. be like, oh man, they just, they just, they see God more than I do. And uh, maybe that one does, but it's not the disability. You know, it's the spiritual gifting that, that, that God has given that, that person. And the disability is not, like, it can be a gift, but it's not a gift in and of itself. It's, it's a gift in how God uses it. And so I think we have to be careful in distinguishing those things. That's something that I've learned because disability is very hard. And if it's, mm-hmm. if, it's a, if it's just a blessing and if it's just a gift and if these people have such a better connection with God, then what are we doing? Why aren't yeah. they up there teaching us? Yeah. And that's still a question. Why aren't they up there teaching us? Because you know? they do have so much to offer. But I think the People First movement has, has done a lot of good in helping us understand that like, there's a gifted, talented, unique person who has things that socially have been constructed as barriers for us, typical people, not for them. And so we have to be careful not to glorify that. And we also have to be careful not to hold standards inappropriately against one another. And I think it, for me, Mm. it just shined a light on how judgmental I can be. Just the lack of patience that I have and really needing, needing excuses to love people well and needing explanation (laughs) to live the life that God calls me to live. And Mm -hmm. I just felt conviction from the Lord over time of just going like, no, man, I'm really sorry. That is not what that is. (laughs) Like, I'm asking you to love all people well, and I'm glad Mm. that you found a way to do it well here but you need to do it in even the harder ways in the ways that you think those people don't deserve it. Mm. You know, and you think that those people would rather you not like, that's what I'm calling you to. And so in a way, disability ministry has become the easier thing to do because I've given up so much grace and over glorified the disability and not really understood what I'm there to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about people with disabilities using their spiritual gifts and, you know, why aren't they the ones up there teaching and doing the things that quote unquote typical people are mostly doing. And I've heard you say that ministry is not just to someone with a disability, but it's with someone. How are you seeing the students use their spiritual gifts, be part of the body and serve others? Well, one of the things that I love about what Young Life does, and it's just innate and part of the program, is uh, we we have student leadership uh, throughout the year. And then we also have what's called work crew and summer staff. And so uh, Kristen Morrow, who's our divisional coordinator, oh, yeah. has done a marvelous job at, at trying to create space and opportunity for teenagers with special needs to be able to participate in those things. And so to actually go serve, to go on. And yeah. what happens with work crew and summer staff, just for those who aren't aware of it, is it is high school kids and college kids that give away three to four weeks out of their summer and they go volunteer at one of the Young Life camps and they do all kinds of jobs, everything from cutting the grass to setting the table, from lifeguarding to washing the dishes. They, they do all these different different things. And so 
what Kristen and so many other people across the, the world have, have worked on is how can we make it possible for these people to serve? Because there was at one point, everyone would rather have an adult you know, do something for them because they're more trustworthy or they're more established or they're more mature. Right. And and sooner or later, we made it accessible to college kids to serve. And then sooner or later, we made it accessible for high school kids to serve. And now, at, with this is the new sooner or later, we're making it accessible for people who have disability to be able to serve. Right and it's on. just a natural progression of saying, how can we give people an opportunity to actually own this and yeah. have it be theirs? Not and that's that's the with them and not just for them. Mm-hmm. So the ministry isn't to them. It's we're inviting them into living a lifestyle of Christian community versus just telling them about it and preaching. You know, when we think about somebody who comes to faith in Christ and someone who receives the gift of salvation and has faith, there are angels rejoicing in heaven, and it is an opportunity for us to praise God, especially for those in the disability community. I mean, are, are there any remarkable redemption stories that you've seen? Yeah, you know what? I, there's a lot of stories that I could think of from our ministries, but one of my favorite ones, the stories that's been captured, is about a woman who is nonverbal. It's a student who was one of Nick Palermo's students and a couple of other leaders had a relationship with this young woman who's no longer a young woman. She was nonverbal and had a lot of tics and a lot of ways that she responded to communication that made most people around her believe that she couldn't communicate Mm -hmm. and that um, she didn't really have a lot going on, quote unquote, up there. And so through, you know, technology and through just the support of family and friends around her, I I forget what the device is called, but it's essentially a a keyboard that with some some physical training and with with a partner, uh, she was able to learn how to how to type her words out, even with yeah. all the ticks and even with all the other things. And basically, they discovered this really intelligent woman behind what seemed to be nothing, no no mind of intelligence or anything like that. And then it was this person who, and she was able to articulate where she saw Jesus mm. and even God meeting her in this uh, extravagant spiritual way. And for me. That story explains a lot of kids' stories where there's so much more going on inside the soul than we could possibly understand and that we could possibly point to. Mm -hmm. And this was a gift, I think, of the Lord of just saying, you have no idea the impact that you're making. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I think about with so many of these kids is there's a lot of kids that I don't have explicit stories of, but it's faith and it's hope and it's trust that when God says that he is going to respond to our faithfulness, that he actually is. Mm. That when God says that he's going to reach all people, that he is doing that. And when he says that he's reconciling the world to himself, that he is the arbitrator of that. He is the one that's doing it. And so I think that specifically in the world of disability, we have to learn how to trust in things that we don't see, have faith in things yes. that we don't understand. And so that story is one that we did get to see, that we do get to celebrate and experience. But I would say there's so many more stories that we don't. And I, I don't know, there's this weird sense that I have that I want to celebrate the things that I don't even see. And I just trust and believe that they're happening. And so I really believe that we've seen hundreds of kids that the rest of the world just passes by and doesn't see and doesn't acknowledge. And we know that inside God is transforming the heart. Mm. There's so much going on beyond our visual capabilities, so much in the spiritual realm, so much happening in people's souls that when God kind of peels 
back the veil. It's such an encouraging thing. Thank you for sharing that woman's testimony with us. And Tobias, we only have a few minutes left. And I know a big part of Young Life's ministry is to help students become involved with and serve in a local church. Mm. And, you know, that's really the heartbeat of our podcast, too, is we want to help to equip Christ-honoring churches to welcome and embrace people with disabilities. So what are some of the ways that churches can be ready to receive students with a disability? And what do you wish every church knew about the students you serve? I would call the churches into a depth of understanding of what they're missing out on. That I think if they understood what kind of community they're passing on by not going out and finding these people and doing whatever they can to bring them in just the, the kingdom parts that they're missing, the things that they're not going to be able to share with their congregations, the things that they're not going to be able to experience as church staff and pastors. I don't know if there's a whole lot that we have to do within the church to change so that they will show up. But there's a whole lot I think we have to change and do to go out there and find them and to reintegrate because, you know, there's this idea that uh, you've seen in a lot of old timey, you know, movies that when somebody comes into a church revival tent or something like that and they're walking right. up on a crutch, you know, what do you, what do you expect is going to happen next? Oh, healing, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's heal this person. Let's, let's, let's take care of this thing and let's call the demons out that are causing this problem. Let's just be franks. You know, that's, that's not. That's not an old idea. That's something sure. that some people still believe. And, yes. you, and you know what? Most people responded, well, our church isn't that way. And I, and I think all people would probably say that. But I would say, I think the church has a unique opportunity to step out of the defensive posture mm. and step into a, a posture of curiosity. What, what, what do you need? What would you want? How can, how can we serve you? Like, let's earn back the trust of the community of people with relatives with disabilities and and really show them that what we want from them is not to fix them or to change them, but to receive from them, that they have something to offer that's of mm. such a high caliber value that we will put things on pause in order to find out how we can integrate them into our community. And I think everything else falls after that. I mean, you could, I could say, turn your lights down a little bit, maybe turn the guitars down. You're, you're, that guy's great and his solo was awesome, but it's scaring the snot out of uh, the, these people that are trying to come in and experience a place of safety. Sensory like, overload. Sensory overload. Like <laughs> I could say do all those things, but I've tried that. I've, I've been in ministry for 10 years and I've, I've sat across the table from pastors and I started off saying, well, if you just did this, this, and this, then, then you'll be more accessible. Half the churches say, well, we can't do that. Maybe we're just not the church that serves that community. And that breaks my heart because it's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just so sad for you right. that you're missing out on what that is. And then there's the other churches that do that. And then and then people don't come because it's it's not a build it and they will come. You got to go get them and say, will you help us build this? That is profound. And that is the partnership aspect of a body, right? So that is good. Mm-hmm. Well, Tobias, I am so impacted by the words that you just shared. And you know, what's really sticking in my mind is just be faithful Be faithful to what God has called all of us to do, to love and serve and include and partner with people with disabilities to make his house full. I love what you're doing. Bless you, brother. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Amen. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I loved today's insightful conversation about sharing the gospel with teens and young adults living with disability. Communicating the love of Jesus and the gospel of Christ to students with special needs goes far beyond what we say. 
Once again, thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And you can find all of our episodes and resources mentioned on the podcast at johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast. I'm Crystal Keating on the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast.